partaking of the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today, so, and then someone when we wrap up can go back and get the kids, okay? I, I did quite a bit of reading and studying while I was in Mexico, which was a good, good time for me, and uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, preachers, well, our preacher, pastor, evangelist, martyr, is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And I read uh, about his life and the things that uh, he stood for. You all know he was martyred at the end of the Second World War. Uh, he was a German pastor, a Lutheran pastor, and he stood up against the things that were going on. And matter of fact, he even could have got out and fleed, but his calling was to his church and to his people. So I have a lot of respect for him, and his words carry a lot of weight. I might recommend that you guys, uh, uh, if you get a chance, it's, it, it takes a while to get through it, but you could read The Cost of Discipleship. It's just a really intense, strong book, and uh, it will encourage you also. Uh, in the late 20s, early 30s, early 30s I think would be uh, more to the point, he took a trip to New York City. And uh, it was his first time over here. He was invited to come and, and preach and share. And uh, he made this statement um, when he got back to uh, Germany. He said, in New York, they preach about everything except the gospel. <laughs> and that just struck me as just being really, uh, he said, they preach about everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, that's why we're all here today is because of the gospel. The gospel of, what is the gospel? I ask myself, well, what exactly is the gospel? We're gonna be dealing with this in the coming weeks and different aspects of it, but he said they preach about everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross. Can I get an amen there, the cross? Sin. Forgiveness, death, and life. These are the things that are contained in the gospel. And a lot of times we put our life before our death, but we should be putting our death, dying to self and being born again. We should be putting death before life because life, when we go to be with the Lord, is when we really start living and that's what we were created for. So I think in the age that we live in with... Uh, all the promotions and things that go on that are around the gospel that really have nothing to do with the gospel. They're just some of the things that you might see on TV and things like that are just an hour-long advertisement. And God, that's not the gospel. The gospel is in the book of John. And if you could go to the King James Version, uh, the book of John, chapter three, and you all know where I'm going. Verse 14, we're going to start with chapter 3, verse 14 in the King James. We're going to talk about what the gospel is today and what it should mean to us. Later on in this series, we'll be talking about what is our response should be to the gospel. Amen. How many of you know what happened in the wilderness when the the people of God started complaining about things? And, you know, complaining is just human nature. I complain too. But 
but God got a little upset with them, so he sent fiery serpents among them, and, and it bit the people. And you might think, well, God was being unfair. No, he could have done a lot worse because he gave them a way out, which is what the gospel is all about. He said, you raise up a fiery serpent, and if the people look upon that, then they'll be healed of their wounds or of their bites. Okay, now that's, that's the pretext or the foundation of what Jesus is gonna tell in, in the book of John. Because if you think about it as, well, let's read the scripture. It'll explain it better than I can. Verse 14 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, if he's lifted up, what's the scripture say? He will draw all men unto him. So that serpent was salvation when they looked upon it because of the mortal wound that the snake bite was gonna inflict on them. But by Jesus saying, as he was lifted up, so must I be lifted up. And that means the focus in the book of Numbers was on the people. Now the focus has to go to God because when they looked upon it, it healed their wounds. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, healed our, our wounds as he was lifted up. He was exalted on high. And we need to look upon him instead of all the things that surround what goes on. You gotta remember that the, the Jews knew what happened in the wilderness. And sometimes in our Christian life, we forget exactly who we're supposed to be looking at. And then he goes on in verse 15, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but he will have eternal life. Again, we put life before death, but he puts death before life. How many of you know you gotta die to self sometimes to really appreciate the gospel? Hallelujah. And then he said, verse 16, which has been quoted and quoted and quoted and quoted. And I think it's been quoted so much that sometimes we don't understand the power of what's being said here. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but he'll have everlasting life. A Couple of things I wanna focus on right there for God so loved. How many of you know that love costs something? I'll repeat that. How many of you know that love costs something? We live in a society where love is cheap, where the word love does not mean what, it, what we know it to mean when we're operating in the Holy Spirit, and love will always cost you. It'll cost you time, it'll cost you money, it'll cost you your convenience, but love costs something. And the cost to Jesus, the cost to our Heavenly Father was sending His only begotten Son. There's a cost there. That's why we need to focus on the, the cross of Christ because that's the salvation that we believe in right now. We need to lift up that he is Lord. He was lifted up between heaven and earth and God sent him 
to give us eternal life. So that was a great cost. And we need to realize the cost that was paid for our lives today. Cost something. Cost something. And then the next one I want to look at is that he gave. He gave. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, by, but the world through him might be saved. He's high and lifted up. Salvation comes through him and through no other. Again, we live in a church age where there's many different ways to God, but I'm telling you there's only one way, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ and the bridge that he made himself into so that we could be in the presence of the Father because we had forfeited through sin our right to stand in the presence of a holy God. Amen? Wow. Go to Romans 5, 8, if you would. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Well, let's go back to verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and you. When we were without strength, Paul said after his conversion, it was Christ that lives in him. The living, breathing Christ, which is represented in our times by the Holy Spirit. I love being full of the Spirit, but I want it to be Spirit-motivated and Spirit-led, and I want God to be glorified in, in things that we do. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Well, thank you. For scarcely, verse 7, for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, or perhaps, for a good man some would even dare to die. And that just reinforces again what the gospel is because even a good man needs a savior. Some of you are good people and you've been good people all your life, but we're still in need of a savior because of the blot of sin on our lives. Verse eight, but God commended his love toward us. What did it say? God so loved the world that he gave, and it says, for God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were, even in human eyes might have been a problem or worthless or of no effect, Christ died for us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not all these other things that go around it all the time. They're part of it. They're part of it. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. I tell you what, good news worked back then and we need good news today. I, w I went 10 days without seeing the news in Mexico and it was such a breath of fresh air. And then I get back here and it's like, I can't catch my breath. There's just so much going on. Lord, we need to cry out to you and help us because the cross purchased our freedom. While we were yet sinners, he came and he died for us. Hallelujah. Some people treat the gospel as a self-help book. 
The gospel is not a self-help or a 12-step program. It's us humbling ourselves in front of a mighty God and saying, thank you for laying down your life for me that I might live right now. And don't be fooled, this ain't your best life. Your best life is coming when you stand in the presence of a mighty God and he says, enter into the joys of the Lord, you good and faithful servant. The gospel's about blood. Yes, it is. The gospel's about the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We live in a church age today where we try to out-clever one another or out-promote one another or out-spend one another. That's not the gospel either. That's not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? He came for us corporately, for everyone in this room, but he came for you personally. He came for me personally. He came for Jeremy personally. He came for Rebecca personally. That's the gospel. For God so loved me. God so loved me. Think about that for a minute. God so loved me and you that he gave and it cost him. It cost him. It cost him. He gave his only son. He commended, and that means he proved his Lord, his love toward us, and that while we were yet worthless, he died for us. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go to 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9. what it says here. Yeah. Verse 9 says this, 1 John 4, 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Everybody wants to see miracles and manifestations, but first, you know what? I believe that miracles and manifestations are embedded in the love of God. Let me say that again. Miracles, healings, everything stems from one thing. It doesn't stem from our worthiness. It stems from the love of God, as John 3.16 says. The rest of the, these signs shall follow them that believe. In other words, you don't start with the signs and you don't start with the wonders. You start with the believe. And then once we start believing, then our behavior will follow what we believe. I don't know, maybe I should have had a happy sermon. I think this is happy. This gives me hope. Because it gets me to refocus on what really is, is mattering here. First John 4, 9. He was manifested. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Amen. The precious flow of blood from Calvary flows through him. Everything that we do flows through him. Everything that was accomplished by his death on the cross came from his love for us. Hallelujah. Go to 1 Corinthians 2. 
John knew what he was talking about. First Corinthians chapter two. Hallelujah. I happened to tune into a little gospel show the other night and they were selling coffee cups and things like that. And if you send us $100, we'll send you this engraved cup. And I thought, what a perversion of the gospel. Amen. What, $100 for a cup? Come on now. All of us can go to whatever store you go to and buy about 100 cups for $100. That's not the gospel, folks. But sometimes that, I saw one guy promoting vials of the blood of Jesus. Well, where did he get that? I'd like to know. Think about it a minute. To some, that's the gospel anymore. Let that sink in a minute. This is what, if you send us this gift of this, we're gonna do that. Well, he already said a gift to us. And he didn't put any conditions on it. He said, freely have you received, freely give. He didn't put one condition on his death. Other than when you see me lifted up, you'll know what's going on. And that's what he said. When you see this, you'll realize that I am he and I do what he that sent me tells me to do. Well, if that's the way God set up salvation, then I need to get saved. You say, aren't you saved? Yeah, I'm saved, but I want to get saved. And that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter two, verse one. This is Paul speaking here. He said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, which is the gospel, it's the testimony of our Lord. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I think we live in a day now where too many things are built, church things are built on the wrong foundation. Paul said, I've seen it all. I've seen divisions, I've seen blessings, I've seen miracles. He knocked me off the horse, that was a miracle. He converted me. I went from a man that was hunting down Christians to being a Christian. But then he said, here's the problem. And when he wrote these letters to these churches, he was pointing out problems and corrections that they needed to make. And 2,000 years later, not this body, but the body in general, we're not picking on anybody here, the body in general has forgot what is the important thing, and that is, Paul said, I know nothing except him crucified, and that was the, the driving force behind his service to the Lord. Amen. 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 I'll tell you another thing it causes when we turn the gospel into other things. I've been a pastor now for 37, 38 years. And if we get our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on the needs of the people, you know the needs of the people are important. That's why you come to God's house and you go work in the pantry and you go visit people in hospitals and you take money to people. See, that all costs. 
but we've reduced it to the point that now pastors have to make promises that they can't keep in order to compete or promote the gospel that is ripe in the world today. Pastors should never be placed in that position where they have to make a promise that they know they can't keep. Oh. That's not the gospel. Jesus said, hey, the disciples were walking with him and they had all kind of ideas of what the, the future would bring or what the kingdom was about. He said, are you ready to drink the cup that I drink? Are you ready to do this? Are you ready to do that? This isn't about condemnation. This is about realizing what was done and what should be our response to it. He said, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me but I lay it down because I so love Darlene that I will lay it down. Hallelujah. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If your foundation is built on anything else except that fact, then we need to draw back into the ark of safety where God can can bless us and teach us and nourish us that that's where it all started was Christ and him crucified. This is not critical of anybody's foundation, but it's important that we know what we build on. In Mexico, everything's brick and mortar. Some churches we've worked on, there was as much below ground that there was above ground. And nobody sees all that, but when we build on the side of a river running down through a city, you better be sure that your foundation is strong because if you aren't, it's gonna fall right in the creek and everything you said about God being God and this being this and this, it just washes right down the creek with everything else. So you gotta have a good foundation. Ephesians says the importance of a good foundation is that we be not blown about by every doctrine that comes down. In my 40 years in church, I've seen so many things come through churches. And then when we run out of things, we start to cycle over again. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that he came and he died for my sins and I need to appreciate that. Hallelujah. Well, let's get back to what the Bible says. Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with clever words of man's wisdom. I've shared this before, and if you go back through Paul's writings, Paul, at one time or another, had a confrontation with just about everybody. He had one with Peter, he had one with, uh, with Barnabas and different ones. Paul disagreed with him because he knew he had found the secret of what was the most important thing, and that was the gospel. But he said, but I I didn't come with enticing words of men's wisdom, nor in a demonstration, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Again, I think that the gospel starts because the the gospel says God is love. God so loved that he gave. That's the foundation you start there. And the, the gifts of the spirit flow out of our acceptance of God's love. 
That's why I think this is important too. You need to hear me on this. If you don't realize that you're loved and that he gave his life for you, God's got a whole bag or a whole agenda of blessings and miracles and anointing that he wants to give each one of us. And he passes them out as the spirit sees fit. And I don't think without a complete revelation of what he is in my life, that he is my savior and everything starts with that foundation. I won't operate in the gifts that I'm supposed to be operating in because it all starts from the love of God for God so loved the world. So everything flows out of that. Paul said, I came to you in demonstration of the Spirit. Here's the the key verse right here. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. Oh boy. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. It's okay to look to Bonhoeffer and T.D. Jakes and and other people like that that are great orators or great writers or actually gave their life for for the Lord as Bonhoeffer did. It's okay to quote from them, but where did they get their quotes? Where did their quotes come from? I don't think it came from a book I wrote. I think it came from the book that he wrote, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All inspiration, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights where there's no shadow of turning or variance. He's God, he loves, he will keep loving. If you lay on your deathbed and have not accepted him as your savior, he will love you till you take your last breath because hell was not created for believers. Hell was created for the devil and his angels and we need to make our salvation sure. The scripture says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What did Paul said he came to them? What did he say there? He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul realized that he had to work it out that way. So if it's that way for Paul, it's that way for us. He said, I don't want your faith to stand in the wisdom of men. You know what? There's different degrees of intelligence in this room, different degrees of a giving spirit. There's just so many different people in this room right now. Some people of great wisdom. But I got something that God revealed to me I'm who I am, that's all I am, and I live by the faith in the Son of God. That's who you are. But he loves you equally. You are his prize. We studied Ephesians where he said, we are his masterpiece. In other words, it don't get no better than plumber. It doesn't get no better. We are his masterpiece. A great artist paints that painting and he shows it to people. And some artworks are called masterpieces because of the effort put into them and the time and the cost and sometimes the eccentricity that goes with it. We're kind of, as Holy Ghost people, we're kind of eccentric sometimes. 
but that's all right. God says we are his masterpiece. And we need to start believing we're his masterpiece because if he said, I gave that you might have life, then I need to consider myself not perfect, but something that was fashioned in the master's hands, as Jeremiah said. He said he has the right in the book of Jeremiah to break that pot that came out wrong and form it again. And I'm gonna tell you, in our lives, we come out wrong sometimes. But if we'll put ourselves back on the master's pottery wheel, he will cleanse us of those impurities until we become a, a vessel fit for his use. Thank God. This is the foundation we're going to start on for the next few weeks. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's where it all starts. He told the disciples, go to Matthew chapter 28. Might as well read it. Oh, wait a minute. I missed something. Go back. Olivia, I'm sorry. Go back to, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. That your faith should, stand, should not stand in the wisdom of men, but what? In the power of God. You know what love does? It gives power. It empowers your wife. It empowers your husband. Where there's a lack of love, there's a lack of power. Think about it a minute. If God is loved and everything's based on that, then the Bible, that's why the Bible says we are to love one another. It doesn't say you're not allowed to disagree. That's not what the gospel says either. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. God will make, we must forgive. That's part of the cross too, is forgiveness of one another's sins and offenses. But that all stems out of love and where there's no love, there's no power. What's the first, what's the first fruit of the spirit? What comes after that? Sounds like a marriage counseling class right now. <laughs> Think about it. Everything flows out of that word. Jesus said, be careful seeking signs all the time. He said that that was an evil generation that's always looking for a sign. But he said, as it was in the days of Noah, this will be the sign that you get. You guys all know about Noah and you all know about what happened in different parts of the Old Testament. He said, that's the sign because the son of man is gonna do the same thing. But that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Matthew 28. Hallelujah. Anybody with me today? Verse 16, 28, 16. Thank you. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You'll find that condition in any church. Just because we're in church doesn't mean we believe sometimes. Make your calling and election sure. 
Okay, this is what it says. And Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, all power, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Who else had the power to do what he did? Nobody. He was the perfect sacrifice. And because he was the perfect sacrifice and he did for us what no one else could do, he said, the Father has invested me with all power. Wow. And then he says to us, go ye therefore and teach all nations. This is, should be our first response. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now go to Mark chapter 16. Some of us like Mark 16 better than we do Ma Matthew 28, but, and I know why, Mark 16 and verse 15. This is another one of our responses. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. There's that word gospel again to every creature. What do we preach? The gospel, the love of Christ, what he did for us. Sometimes it comes through preaching, sometimes it comes through action. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now we have the means to do that by television and internet and satellite and everything like that, but even that cannot be abused to where we turn it into a perversion of what God's really saying. We get so much surrounding the gospel sometimes that we can't even see the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be what? Are you, are you a believer today? Yeah. Have, you, have you experienced the power to believe and the power that comes out of the love of Christ? Have you risen and been baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, or just in the name of Jesus? That's an outward expression of an inward conversion. See, everybody sees my actions and your actions and everything that goes on around us, but nobody sees inside except him. And that's why I gotta know that I'm loved inside. I'm loved inside. It's an unshakable truth. It's not a mind game. It's something that comes as an anchor of the soul. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. That's an anchor. You gotta work to get an anchor out. And the devil will work on you. But as long as you know God so loved the world. Wow. But he that believes not shall be what? Wow, how about that? You mean this loving God will do that? Listen, listen to me. It's a matter of life and death. If you live your life first and then death, you miss a lot along the way, although we gotta live in these mortal bodies. But if you realize that death precedes life, it'll kinda of put things in perspective again. And what's that perspective? He did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And sin had left a crimson stain 
and he washed it white as snow. Who did that? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Let me finish this up. And these signs shall follow them. But look at the word that says, these signs shall follow them. How do them become them? By realizing who was them, him that made them them. And that's a play on words there. But that's the only way. Listen, the signs will come. The signs will come into your life. But you can't get detached from the sign giver. If you don't have a, a vibrant, alive, daily relationship with him, you're operating in self. And when you operate in self, all you do is feel guilt and remorse because you go home and you think, well, that was a dumb thing that I did there. Because there's no attachment to the anchor. Your anchor has not gripped the solid rock. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Who is the rock? Isn't it interesting how everything goes back to him? It's about time, isn't it? Yeah. David, who lived before Jesus realized who his Savior was. He saw the future because he realized where his salvation came from. He said, I'll look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, let's finish this up. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they what? Cast out devils. That's a pretty big deal. I think the first devil that needs to be cast out sometimes is the one that's in each one of us. I don't want to upset somebody's theology, but the first devil that needed to go was the devil that controls our life. And you know how that act is done? Because God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I've said this before. When you go to the grocery, my wife, she's, she's a pro at this. She'll uh, uh, find the right date, the right date. Now remember what it said in 1 John where he came at, at just the right time? Okay. She looks for the shelf life. You don't buy a can of beans that's gonna to expire tomorrow when you can buy a can of beans that's gonna stay in your house for two and a half years and you can pull it out of there and say, oh, look at this can of beans. That's what salvation's like. She searches through that. I'm gonna tell you in here, we all have a, self, a shelf life. Everybody in here has an expiration date. Think about that. We have an expiration date. When we buy milk and we buy bread, we'd look at how long the thing's gonna last. And we do that in an earthly sense because we don't wanna poison ourselves. And some of them dates, you can fudge them in either direction. Some people say, oh, this says June 4th, I'm not gonna eat this thing or drink this thing. Oh, I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. Because we're, that's an earthly thing, but spiritually, we try to fudge the date. And the Bible says that we all 
kind of have a date. It's appointed unto man. And then, wow. And you know what I think the judgment's gonna be? What the Holy Spirit teaches about in John chapter 16. I'm trying to get too much in here today. Holy Spirit, help me. He says he'll show you the future. He'll comfort you. He'll convict the world of its sin. That righteousness is available to every one of us through Christ. This is what he says. In my name shall they cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. That's not just something we make up because we want to be Pentecostal. That's what the Word says. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is usually, well, I'll say it should be, evidence with speaking in other tongues. That's what the Scripture teaches is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look what else it says. They shall take up serpents, serpents, when we used to travel in Southern Kentucky and West Virginia, they had some of them churches over there that whew, you went in, you went out. Anybody know what I'm talking about over there and Logan and Omar and Barnabas and Williams and Kentucky? Them people took that one literally. I mean, they did. Now, I'm not making fun of their way of worship, but I think some of them went to their grave before they were supposed to because they right, didn't rightly divide the word of truth. And I don't see much love expressed in handling serpents and things like that when you don't have to. You know what our example is of serpents and taking up serpents? Is when Paul was stranded on the island and Paul went right into serving the people. That's what he did. He, he even saved them out of the shipwreck. He said, nobody's gonna perish. God will give you something to hold on to. Well, that ship broke up and Kim had the stern and this one had a paddle and this one had a piece of the brow and this one had a piece of this and they all came to the shore and they got there and they were making a fire and guess what happened? A snake was in the wood pile. That don't mean we go around from church to church, get the snakes out, boys, let's have a church service. Paul wasn't looking for no snake. He was looking to get warm. They just got out of the ocean, they were all wet. Things were not good. And it said a serpent attached itself to him. Oh boy, does that sound like the gospel. A serpent attaches itself to us. But then look what happened. Paul knew how much he was loved and that he had to go to Rome. Can I take my shirt tail out a minute? Paul was on a mission to Rome. He knew he had to go there because the Lord said, you're going to Rome. Well, how do I know that? Because the man that made the gospel, the good news, told me to go to Rome. In Jerusalem, they told me not to go back there. They said, this is what's gonna to happen to you when you go here, when you go there. He said, but I'm greatly loved. I know the love of God. And it said he shook off the serpent into the fire and everybody watched him to see if he was gonna croak. And then when he didn't croak, they wanted to turn him into gods. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not a God. 
How many times did they try to make Paul and some of the other disciples, they fall down and worship them? Boy, it's the wrong focus again. It's not discerning the cross of Christ. It's discerning what we want. And if we make a God that we want, we will make our life serve that God because we can change him. And God is not changeable. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I meant for Paul, I mean for Jeremy. What I meant for everybody, I meant for you. Said he shook him off into the fire. He said, don't worship us like we're gods. Because he had a revelation of who was God and who was sitting at the right hand of the Father. He, oh, he, he was in agreement with Stephen's martyrdom. And matter of fact, the scripture says, the scripture says, sometimes I paraphrase a lot, but you can go back and check it. It said that he was even consenting to Stephen's stoning, and it says he held the garments. He wasn't a rock thrower, matter of fact, he was bad, but not that bad. He wasn't as bad as the rock throwers. And that's another thing we do in our Christian life is we compare ourselves one to another. Well, all I did was hold the coach, but she threw the rock. Then he said he shook him off into the fire because he knew, he knew where his power came from. The love of God hit him so hard when it knocked him off of that horse that he went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And thank God for that. You said, well, God would have found somebody else. We can't get into that either. If he calls you to do it, then don't look for somebody else to do it for you. I'm finishing up. So don't follow the signs, they'll follow you just like they did Paul. Shook it off into the fire and he went on about his business. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. That's a whole nother topic I'll get in. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I guess my question is, we go back to John 3.16. What is behind all this? What is the platform that it's built on? Are tongues built on the platform of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is God, the three in one, the, tri the Trinity? It's all built on those gifts, the gift of love. They shall lay hands on the sick. That's why the scripture tells us in scripture, we gotta be careful sometimes. It says, lay, do not lay hands suddenly on any man. Discern, if God's telling you to lay hands, lay hands. But don't make a part of your program because you've come untethered from the healer, which is Jesus Christ. If there's any healings that's gonna take place here or down the road or over there, then it's gonna come through the power of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. That that's where healings happen. These signs shall follow them that believe. Believe. So do we believe today? I believe that this is a notebook. I believe this is a notebook. I still haven't figured out how a plane stays in the air. 
Now Dwight knows all about that. You gotta have wings, wings doing this, and certain aerodynamics, and flaps, and sensors, and my God, it's a wonder them things even fly with everything you gotta know. They got computers in them now, and even the computers are starting to mess up, and I don't understand how a plane works. It's just a thin little membrane that you get into and close the door on you, and you spend about two hours with everybody's coughs and colds, and I don't understand all that. I don't understand how it, the pilot knows when to do this and when to do that. I, I don't get it. But when I get on that plane, I got to believe it. Because I guarantee you, if I'm getting ready to get on a plane, I got to believe in the people that are there because that's a physical, tangible thing. And if I see Jim Gibson walking up with a pilot's cap on and say, hey, I'm your pilot today, you better believe that I'm going in the other direction. <laughs> He's a surveyor, but he ain't a pilot. We got to believe and we got to know the law of aerodynamics is what keeps that plane in the air. So some smart person studied that and guess what they watched? They watched the birds of the air. Remember two weeks ago the sermon about watch the birds? They watched what birds did and they learned how to fly, but that came from God. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, I got a head cold. Doesn't bother my faith a bit. I look at it as a challenge sometimes when I get buffeted. Paul said he was distressed and discouraged and, and everything else. God did not promise us perfect conditions. That comes later. If you put death before life, that comes later. We got the Lord's Supper today. And we're gonna partake in that. Let me caution you on one thing. If you're not a believer, don't sit at this table because we have strict warning in the scripture about it. If you have kids, thank God that they're here today, but make sure that they understand what they're doing. It's not just a ritual and it's a reconnection. He said, when he said, take and eat and drink from this cup, he was talking about his Death, and through his death we have life. Hallelujah, amen. Darlene, would you come, and Jeremy and Catherine, and help us do the Lord's Supper today. And you might even be confused about communion and what it means, the disciples were too. They didn't understand why he was washing their feet and why he was doing all the things he was doing. He said, you'll understand later. See, I got to believe in that pilot and I've got to believe that the things that God has told me through his son, Jesus Christ, are gonna happen. I got to believe that. And I've preached too long. Would you start coming now to receive the Lord's Supper?